Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mark Leverage podcast, this one being for February 2021. Lovely to have you listening, as always. And normally I tend to record these at night time. So when I look up from my computer monitor, all I see are drawn curtains or the dark outside. Today I've decided to record it during the daytime. And although it's very cold outside today, it is in fact extremely sunny, which is rather a nice view. So maybe it's going to put me in a good mood. Now, before I start with the main body of the uh, podcast, I just wanted to uh, give you another reminder about my eClub Pro live lecture open event. This is happening on Wednesday, the 10th of February, starting in the evening at 7.30 GMT. And it's the full presentation of my current Zoom eClub Pro lecture. I'm really looking forward to doing this. And it's a great opportunity for people who are not um, affiliated in any way, perhaps to a magic club and who are therefore unlikely to be able to get to see the lecture to now do so because anybody can apply. And we've already got a goodly number of people from around the world which of course is really nice because there are no boundaries in that sense anybody who's prepared to either depending on the time zone get up early or stay up late can uh, can join us and i thought i'd mention it again because uh, i mentioned it in the podcast last month and if you were to have listened to that at the beginning of january it's quite a long time until the middle of february Whereas now, if you listen to this in time, it's a good opportunity perhaps for you to sign up. A ticket to attend is £10, but the good news is, if you actually turn up and attend on the night, then afterwards I'll send you a credit voucher for £10, which you can offset against any of my download purchases. So I suppose effectively, if you do redeem your voucher, it means you've got the lecture for free. The lecture itself has got a lot of varied material in it for stand-up, mentalism, close-up. It's, it's a really nice mix of stuff that won't require lots of specialised props or anything special to be made. It's all with mainly with everyday objects or things that you, that you would have, like, say, sponge balls or things like that. So do consider coming along. Um, it's going to be great fun. And, uh, and I think you'll pick up loads of things that, that you can use. And I would love to see you there. So that's the end of that little plug. Now, um, the last few days, in fact, it's been the last week, really, I've been grappling with something. Anybody who's got a computer and who realizes, as I did, that my desktop computer really did need to be updated after a few years of having the same one, will know the wonderful experience that it is when you have to transfer your files to the new computer and you have to reload all the software and get everything to work again. It doesn't just work, does it, normally? You, you may be able to transfer the files okay, but the software is something else, especially when you've got older versions of software, you're trying to find modern versions, you're trying to find license keys and all the other paraphernalia. And then when you do finally manage to get the thing to download, it either doesn't look the same or some of the things that you had nicely set up on the other computer now no longer function or they work differently. And so you, I, can, I have spent hours on certain small things just trying to get them to work, like just trying to get my printer to work. That was fun. That took two days. And the reason that, of course, all this takes so long is that basically I don't have a techie knowledge about computers. Like most of us, I guess, we've used them for years. We know our way around software that we use on a regular basis, but... When it comes to the technical aspects of it, not so much. Uh, 
And so that's where the frustration comes in. And I ended up having to get somebody to come in to help me out and sort the things out, someone who had knowledge. And, and it made me realise that that is probably how some people feel about magic, is that they, they want to do certain effects and they may read or see some stuff on DVD or online and they start to go through the process of putting the thing together so that they can perform it only to realize that they are lacking certain maybe skills possibly knowledge there's there's some part of the routine which requires you to have a certain skill set which you realize that you don't have and you either don't want or just can't be bothered to actually learn so then you think well surely there must be another way to do this there must be a way that i can tweak this just like with the software to make it work in the way that I want it to work. But of course, if you don't have enough magical knowledge, you don't have a database to go back to in order to look at stuff and go, right, what can I do instead? Now, when I was a kid and first starting in magic, my way of approaching it, and I'm sure this was this true of a lot of people, was you bought a book. And the sort of books that, that I had in early on were full of moves and techniques, a bit like the equivalent of card college, only for everything. So coins and silks, ropes, or all different types of magic. They were all the basic things. And I can remember starting by learning certain skills, whether it be false counts and cuts and shuffles with cards, whether it was coin slides, different vanishes and transfers and things like that. And that then gave me a bedrock of knowledge and, and to a certain extent expertise, which when I started to then get more involved in the actual tricks, I was able to call upon. And I wonder that whether today, because of the availability of instant tricks, cleverly made props, things that, that happen with less perhaps needing to be less input perhaps from the performer themselves in terms of skill, then this a lot of the performers coming in into it today maybe they're not so versed in the various techniques that will help them to make alternative decisions if the way that the trick is presented to you in the first place isn't quite right for you so i i don't know whether this is true or not it's i have no nothing to back this up but i do get the feeling that when you look at the things that are being sold um, a lot of things that are being sold are instant gratification tricks and which is fine if you can do them and if they work straight away if you can't or if they don't if you haven't practiced or don't have access to the basic skills of magic then the likelihood is that you're going to be like i am frustrated with the computing stuff and equally frustrated with the magic now obviously one of the main effects of the pandemic for us magicians is the lack of live performance I can't remember a time, there has never been a time in the last 40 years for me as a pro where I haven't just done a show or I'm about to do another one. So it's been a very weird and almost surreal situation to not have anything like that to look forward to or to prepare for. And it made me realise that the lack of live performance has a knock-on effect over and above the fact that it reduces my income. Because performing is almost like the catalyst for a number of other areas of my performing life. And I wonder whether it's, it's the same for you. For instance, trick creation. Now, one of the things that, that obviously I need to do, 
I need to produce tricks to go on, for instance, onto my uh, eClub Pro database so that members have got always got something new to look at. And when I'm doing a lot of shows, I have the the time and the motivation to push tricks through into the performance arena so that I can try them out and I can see the effects of what a live situation um, can create. Whereas when you don't have that, of course, then you don't have that opportunity to, to perhaps road test things in the same way that you would normally do. Obviously, having a lot of experience helps because you know what will work and what won't work, but it's still taking away the motivation. Because I can remember on a number of occasions, I thought, I'd really like something new that I can start a table with. And so I would deliberately, when I had a booking coming up, I would deliberately produce something to try in order to fulfill that ambition of having something new to start a table. And you could try it straight away. Whereas if you take that away, you suddenly don't have that motivation, then it's harder. You have to, right, now I'm going to think about something to start a table, even though there's no end point or, or no reason to have it done by a particular date. Another way that uh, possibly lack of performance can affect you is that it kind of takes away your thirst for knowledge. You know, if you're not going to be doing any shows, you don't need to sort of think about the magic that you're doing very much. The, the tricks that you've always done, you're not doing them, you're not thinking about them, you're possibly not playing around with them anymore. Um, you're not developing anything new. You're not stretching the parameters of your knowledge in order to improve. So that's taking that away. And that's a real pity too, isn't it? And of course, because you're not earning any money with magic, particularly I think if you're a, a semi-pro where the money that you're earning possibly is not going towards your everyday living expenses, it's going back into magic. Obviously, you're not investing in any, perhaps in as many new tricks, books, DVDs as you used to. Because why would you need to? Because you don't need to buy a new prop other than just general interest, I suppose. But you have no motivation in terms of, oh, I really need to replace this prop for my show because it's broken or it's not fit for purpose anymore. So therefore, I, I need to get a new one or look for something similar or different or better. So it takes away that, that need to actually invest in your act. And in many ways, I suppose, not performing reduces the amount of attention that is put on your hobby or your, or your professional work. If you're not performing, then you're less likely to think about it. You're more likely to perhaps, unless you engineer it deliberately to think about it, to think about other things. Uh, other things that are you know, more perhaps passive, watching the television, going on YouTube for hours on end, or, or things like that. They suddenly take over. Whereas when you have a show coming up and you, it gives you something to focus on and it also gives you something to talk to other magicians about. This is one area of, of conversation with your friends in magic that is actually cut off because you can't say, oh, I never get it happened to me in a show the other day. All that is taken away and you say, I've done these shows. Well, no, a whole area of our magic lives is completely poleaxed by the fact that we have no new experiences to talk about and then another aspect of this is that i don't know about you but i'm not a natural extrovert 
I am when I'm performing. I, I love the process of performance, the the adrenaline rush, the the excitement of a performance, and and the fun that it generates. I really enjoy that, and it brings the extrovert in me, such as it is, out into the open. But of course, the rest of the time, I'm not a tremendous extrovert going around the house presenting. No, of course, I'm not. I'm quite a quiet person, really. So, um, that side of my personality is not being exercised. It's not being used at all. And I, I miss that. I miss the fun of that and the adrenaline burst and the excitement of doing a show. All that is taken away, as is the reason to get dressed up in my performance clothes, um, the, the, the need to get myself psyched up, get in the car and drive to a venue. You know, you may complain about it sometimes. Oh, dear, I don't feel like doing a show tonight. Well, I've got to go and do it. But you do. And once you get there, you're often really pleased that you're there and you enjoy the show. Again, all that is removed. And you find yourself watching every single football match that's on the telly simply because you don't feel there's much else that you want to do of an evening. So all these things, the general experience and enjoyment that, that magic performance brings is all stripped away. And we're having to almost artificially engineer reasons to be interested in magic to to still listen to podcasts like this as i hope obviously you are still um to to maybe purchase the extra item or trick or something new just to keep the interest going and it's to be hoped isn't it that once the performance comes back online as we hope it may do later in the year that this will rejuvenate our interest and regenerate our interest in magic and that, that we will once again go back to all the other aspects of our magic lives that currently have been put rather on hold. eClub Pro, my online magic resource, uh, is split into a number of different sections, and one of them is called It Could Only Happen Live. And there are currently over 90 videos in which basically I'm sitting at a kitchen table drinking a coffee and I chat to camera about some of the things that have happened to me over the last 40 years as a full-time pro. It's, it's interesting because when you start to think about it, as anybody who performs a lot, then you, you get to realise that there are so many uh, situations that have occurred that are funny, horrific or just unbelievable, quite frankly. So I thought it might be fun just to um, give you one of those now, the soundtrack from one of those now. And um, it's, it's a situation which only ever has only ever happened to me once. And uh, maybe it's happened to you, but it's certainly never happened to me before. So see what you think. Here it is then, an extract from It Could Only Happen Live. A couple of uh, Christmases ago, I was booked to do a corporate dinner which was down on the south coast in Torquay in a big hotel there. And um, it was one of these events where it was basically a company was um, giving a Christmas uh, knees up for all of their uh, staff. So there were a lot of people there, probably a hundred or so people there. And my remit was to go around and entertain during the drinks reception prior to the meal and then stay on and go around the tables as well. And I do lots of dinners like this and they're quite fun. Um, anyway, so uh, I'm going around doing the drinks reception before the meal itself and uh, doing some magic. And I go to one group and there's about uh, four or five people standing in this group. 
And I approached and I sort of interrupted the conversation as you do. And, uh, and I started to tell them I'm the magician. And the moment I mentioned the fact that I was a magician, one of the ladies there went, oh, oh gosh, no, sorry, can't be doing with that. And she turned around and walked away, which is, you know, a bit odd, but I think, well, okay, fair enough. Some people really don't like magic that much. Um, so I just carried on, didn't think any more of it. Then when I went in to do the dinner later on, I was uh, just finishing up performing at one table and I turned around and there were a couple of ladies standing waiting to speak to me. And uh, they said, oh, sorry to interrupt you, but um, I'm not being funny here, but can we ask you to do something for us? Um, we're on this table over here. And they pointed to a, to a table on the far side of the room. Um, we have a lady on our table who, who really um, has a thing about magic and really doesn't want to see any magic. And we were wondering whether you would not come to our table. Now these people had come from one side of the room to the other in order to specifically ask me not to go and entertain them, um, which was a one-off. I'd never had anybody do that in quite that way before. All right, if you're in a restaurant and you're going from table to table and people don't know there's going to be a magician, occasionally you'll get someone to say, no, it's okay, we're having a business meeting or something like that. But on this occasion, where it's just a, it's a Christmas do where there's going to be entertainment, it's very unusual to get a refusal. So I said, oh, no, that's, that's absolutely fine. Um, you know, no problem at all. Uh, and obviously I didn't go to that table. It was only subsequently that um, I came across something called raptophobia, which apparently part of a, it's like a sort of a, a slight mental condition that some people have a fear of, of magic and magicians. It's not something that they can control. And I did wonder whether this lady was suffered a little bit from that or Maybe it was just that she'd had a really bad experience with a magician in the past and really just therefore didn't like magic. Or it could be that she had raptophobia and that she really, really couldn't bear to be anywhere near where magic was going on. So I suppose um, from my point of view, it was one table less to do on a busy night of trying to do the tables. But honestly, it could only happen live. There's a well-known phrase, isn't there, that you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. And I think as performers, this is certainly really true for us. What we say, how we look, the way we behave, in the first few seconds that we're in front of our new audience, and this applies to stage or cabaret or standing at a table side or even with a mix and mingle group, really. Those first few seconds are really key for how quickly the audience is going to get onto our wavelength and to decide whether they want to give us the time of day or whether they're going to like us or not. And I think particularly for pataracts, those first few words that you actually utter when you start your performance can be quite key in identifying who you are likely to be. I mean, an accepted way to begin an act is, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. But actually, that's really formal, isn't it? Now, in these days where a lot of formality has been basically thrown out and people are much more um, willing to be informal and familiar with their spectators right from the word go, to come out and say, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, may sound old fashioned. However, if you're somebody who's older, an older magician, or you're dressed very smartly in informal clothes, such as a, a smart suit or a dinner jacket or whatever, then to start your act with, and especially if it's a formal occasion such as a gala dinner or something of that nature, to start your performance with, good evening ladies and gentlemen, seems appropriate, probably seems fine. 
you look like the sort of person who would say that. However, a lot of performers are not like that. They may come out and they say, Hiya everybody, how you doing? Much more informal, much more relaxed. Now, if you come out in a dinner jacket or a suit and you say, Hiya everybody, how you doing? Does that look quite right? Possibly not. If you're a younger performer and you come out in, I don't know, ripped jeans and a t-shirt or whatever, something very informal in what you're wearing, and you say that, it probably seems fine. It identifies your age. They can look at you and see that you're a young person, you're dressed in a young way. So therefore, that type of introductory few words makes probably total sense. It still might feel a little out of place at a formal event, but nevertheless, it's another way to go, isn't it? And some people, I think, especially maybe the younger crowd, will very much identify with that and, and, and like that person, whereas they might be a bit more reticent to get involved with somebody who says, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. So maybe it's a question of looking at our age, looking at what we're wearing, looking at the event that we're going to, and then deciding what is appropriate. I mean, I can think of occasions, for instance, doing strolling magic at summer events, where if you walked up to a group outside in the sunshine, they're all sitting having a picnic, and you sort of kneel down on, on, a, on a rug next to them, and you open with good evening or good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, it would sound utterly ridiculous. So I will start in a much more conversational way, because that feels appropriate for the situation and I will dress appropriately. I'm not dressed in a very formal way. If it's an outdoor event, it's much more casual. Still smart, but casual for me anyway, at my age. And so it seems appropriate to start in that particular way. So I think judging the event and judging what we're wearing and our age and so on is important. And if you get it right, then people will accept you for who you are. And if you get it wrong, it can make them think, really? Good grief, what on earth is this bloke on? Those of you who re regularly listen to this podcast may remember that I've mentioned in the past on a few occasions the CCC, which stands for the Cumbrian Conjurers Collective, a very tongue-in-cheek name that we, myself and three other of my closest magical friends, have given to when we get together for our magic sessions. And the reason it's called this, the Cumbrian one, is because one of the members of the group lives in Cumbria. And since the rest of the three of us live down south, we go up to stay with him for a few days of magical chat, magical performance, and just generally have a good social time. It's fantastic because we've all known each other for decades. Uh, we're all very good friends, and we have a lot of, between us, a huge amount of magical knowledge. So when we're working on things, we want to discuss magical theories. It's great to be able to get together and sit around, whether it's in a cafe or over a meal or in just in, uh, in the sitting room in, in his house. Uh, and we discuss all these things at great length because we have plenty of time to do so. Well, of course, the pandemic's put pay to all that. We haven't been able to meet for a while now. So we decided at the back end of last year to use Zoom to create a CCC event. And we had a whole day in which, I know it's not as good as actually meeting, but we were able to do a lot of the things that we would normally do and go through the things we were working on, the things we wanted to talk about. And this was an example of where Zoom has been so beneficial to all magicians, I think, who, who want to keep contact with each other, 
But for us as a group, it was a way that we could have a group chat and where we'd be able to um, still do some of the things that we, otherwise we wouldn't have done at all. And I think it's, it's indicative of the way that the last 12 months have been, that so many things have become Zoom orientated. And we've talked before about lectures and the fact that a lot of lectures are now on Zoom simply because you can't have a physical lecture anymore. And I think it will affect in the long term that Zoom lectures will become a, an established alternative to live lectures. I don't think they're just going to disappear. And I wonder how many other things, clubs meeting with Zoom, uh, the CCC meeting with Zoom, whether some of these things will also continue when we can go back to live stuff. And if so, it might be that we have some viable alternatives that we wouldn't otherwise have considered and which will still be very beneficial. I must say, I, I find it quite amusing that as magicians, we spend quite a bit of time when we're entertaining people, trying to make them believe that we have magical powers that actually we don't really possess. It's, it's a funny thing, isn't it? It's almost like a contract between us and an adult audience. They're going to pretend that we do have these powers because they don't actually know usually how we're doing what we're doing. And we are going to take credit for things that we can't actually do. And I've often wondered that if we really had magical powers, if we could really do almost anything we wanted just because we were magicians in a sort of Merlin-style manner, would we do card tricks? Because the answer is probably no, we wouldn't, would we? But what would we do with it? Because the first problem would be that if you had real magical powers, if not all magicians did, but just you did, then the first thing would be credibility, wouldn't it? Because the likelihood is that nobody would actually believe that you really had powers. And you would kind of think to yourself, well, hang on a minute, I, I need to prove to you surely that I've got magical powers. And you would probably do more and more amazing and ext extreme things in an attempt to people to go, gosh, you're the real thing. But people wouldn't, still wouldn't believe it because magicians, other magicians who didn't have the special magical powers, would soon see what you were doing. So, OK, I, I think I can work out a way how to do that, even though I don't have his special powers. I think when Yuri Geller first came along and first uniquely started on television in the UK to, to bend objects, there were, there were a number of people who genuinely thought he had special cosmic powers that enabled him to do it. He was so convincing and this was so unusual and out of the realms of the everyday person's experiences. But it wasn't long, was it, before magicians were concocting all sorts of manners of ways to achieve exactly the same thing. So if you were a genuine magician who had genuine powers, you wouldn't actually bother to entertain people, would you? Maybe you would use your powers for the greater good or for the greater evil, if you were that sort of predisposed in that particular way. But you certainly wouldn't do card tricks or coin tricks or rope tricks. I suppose you might do that as well, but it wouldn't be your primary function. So actually being a real magician wouldn't be that interesting to most people because if you said well I'm going to I'm going to do something cosmic and I'm going to make all bad people in the world disappear or something then there would be no proof that it was you that had done this 
So what would be the point? It's all to do with credibility, isn't it? And I suppose as magicians, we we know and the audience knows that we don't have real magical powers. So as I said at the beginning of this, we, it's not like we're... well. I guess there may be one or two people who do try to convince people they genuinely have powers, but on the, as a general rule, it's entertainment, it's a bit of fun, and we're not claiming really that we have anything. But if people want to believe that we do, well, okay, all well and good, it's all part of the fun. To have the real powers might actually be incredibly frustrating. I, I don't know how, personally, how I deal with that or what I do with it. It would be a, such a strange situation, and but entertaining wouldn't necessarily be the first thing you'd think of. So the mere fact that we are using these so-called magical powers in order to entertain, by definition, means that we don't have real magical powers, which of course is the truth of it, isn't it? So anyway, I know it's a bit of a stupid thought, but uh, nevertheless, if you had real magical powers, would you entertain with it? Or would you do something completely different? Interesting thought, I think. Well, thank you so much for listening to the February podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the various things I've had to talk about. Don't forget, February the 10th, do sign up and come along to my eClub Pro Live open event. Anybody can come and it would be lovely to see as many of you there as possible. In the meantime, have a great month and I'll see you next time.